Well, if you would turn in your scriptures to Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 1, familiar portion. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Turn to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Have you seen your first robin yet? Anybody? Oh, wow. I haven't. I have not seen a robin yet. Charlene has seen lots. It's not fair. But I haven't seen one yet. Maybe I need to get outside more. I don't know. That would help. There is something uh, encouraging about the familiarity, the sense of spring that's coming when you see the first robin of the year. And the text that I'm going to read now is going to sound very familiar to our ears. It's sort of like the call of a bird. Look at verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And so it's very familiar because it sounds like Psalm 1, doesn't it? Scholars aren't sure if Psalm 1 influenced here, Jeremiah, or if Jeremiah here in the word influenced Psalm 1, which came first. But there is a major difference, though it sounds very familiar. And the difference is that Psalm 1 starts with the blessed man, while the portion in Jeremiah starts with the cursed man. Look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So we are presented with two different people, the sorts of people, two ways of life. There's the cursed one or the blessed one, the cursed way or the blessed way. The cursed one 
trusts in man, we're told in verse 5, curses the man who trusts in God, in man. And verse 7 tells us, the blessed man trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. So the cursed way, the cursed one, trusts in the flesh. They have turned from the Lord. Israel has turned away. They have no thought for God. They are like a shrub in the desert, he says. Dry, useless, thirsty, lonely, sterile, salt, he mentions, parched, spiritually dead. And, and there are showers of blessing, but he doesn't know them. He can't take them in. Uh, shall not see any good come. He's not able to take in that which is blessing. Well, the blessed man, it says his confidence is in the Lord, is the Lord. Uh, he purposely sends out his roots. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots. There's an intentionality here. And they drink deeply from the blessings of God. There's heat, there's drought, it doesn't matter. The green is going to remain. The fruit is going to remain, he says. So this contrast is a common teaching uh, method within the word of God. Jesus will use this contrast quite frequently. The Sermon on the Mount is full of these contrast where Jesus speaks of the two gates and the wide road and the narrow road, the contrast between the two. He speaks of the good tree and the bad tree. He speaks of the, uh, the fruit, the good fruit and the bad fruit. He speaks about the two foundations, one founded on the rock, which is the word of God, and the other on the sand. So here we have that contrast the cursed one and the blessed one. A dry shrub trusting in man versus a vibrant fruit tree trusting in God. Both experience drought and yet only one withers. The other prospers. Both know the heat. One withers. One prospers. Both know blessing from God, but one withers and the other prospers. So that brings us to the question, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the cursed one or the blessed one? Are you trusting in man or are you trusting in God? Now, before you answer that question, we have to continue with some very critical information he tells us in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And what he's saying is we don't see ourselves as we really are. We don't see ourselves Imagine a world without mirrors or cameras. 
we would have no idea what we look like. You would probably, men, think you're more handsome than you are. But because we live in a world of mirrors, we know the truth. There is no mirror for our inner being. So humans think themselves to be basically good people. Basically good inside. Time and time again we hear excuses for sins, don't we? People say, well, they are so nice. I hear that a lot. They're so nice. They're, they're good deep down. You know, there's a saying that says everybody's a saint at their funeral. <laughs> Many Christians fall for this surprisingly. It's a surprising thing to hear a Christian saying people are basically good. Or, oh, my neighbors are so nice. It's because you don't really know your neighbors. Trust the word of God. Christians even accept immorality today and perverse things based on their positive impression and wishful thinking about other people rather than trusting in the word of God. God says this is wrong and our perception of niceness is what's flawed, not the word of God. I remember somebody speaking of the Mayan civilization. How amazing the Mayans were, he was saying. How, how great. What a civilization it was. And I said, sure. If you ignore the thousands of human sacrifices they made. And that was the end of the conversation. Time and time again, mankind excuses itself by saying, I am a good person at heart. And we can preen like a bird. And he tells us here that there is nothing as deceitful as a human heart. He says there's nothing more deceitful than a human heart. The heart is deceitful above all. All things, the human heart cannot be trusted with a self-assessment or the ability to assess other people. We have the human heart as an unlimited capacity for wickedness and deceit so that human resources are completely incapable of dealing with this problem. Jesus would speak to this. He would say these words, for from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person, he says. 
And Paul will speak of this too in Galatians 5. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, the things like these I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he says, this human heart is desperately sick. Some translations say, beyond cure. It can't be cured by anything that we can do. There's, there's no pill that we can take. We are palliative. We are terminal. There's no fixing our heart. There's nothing we can do. There's no work, there's no deed that we can accomplish that's going to solve this issue of the human heart. And so we have a problem, don't we? Because we have the cursed one who trusts in man and the blessed one who trusts in the Lord. How do you move from being cursed to being blessed? How do you move from trusting in man to trusting in God when our hearts are so de desperately sick and deceitful? Who on earth can dive into the depths of our own corruption to learn the fullness of our crooked hearts and our capacity to do wrong? There's a bird everybody loves, the cuckoo bird, <laughs> made famous by the clocks. A cuckoo clock comes out, has a distinct cry. I've never seen one, but I've seen a clock. It brings amazement to kids when the kids wait for the hour to chime and out comes the little bird, cuckoo, cuckoo. What a great bird. What a fun bird. But the cuckoo clock has a, a dark secret. This bird is called a brood parasite. Because what it does is it lays its eggs in the nest of other birds, other species of birds. And when the mother bird doesn't know any better hatching the cuckoo chick, when that chick hatches, the first thing it does, the first thing, and there's videos of it, it's quite amazing, is it begins to push and even to carry on its back the other eggs in the nest and it tosses them over the side. The cuckoo bird is a serial killer. <laughs> and he remains there, raised by whatever bird. Sometimes it's, he's three times bigger than the bird raising him and he's getting all the food for himself. The bird everyone loves. Is not as it seems. 
It's true for us too. We are not what we like to seem because inside, in our being, we are bent. And there's only one who can understand fully our crookedness. And so the question, who can understand it, is answered in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, it's the Lord who knows our hearts. It's the Lord who can plumb the depths of who we truly are. And he's not fooled by our deceitfulness. He can search out every nook and cranny of who we are. He knows us. And he sees the truth. You see, he sees us as we really are. And he knows us as we really are. And he gives us what we deserve. He understands human nature, the motives and intentions of our heart. Everything is revealed to him. He knows our ways are cursed. Our fruit is bad because he can see inside. And if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar because he tells us we are sinners who need a savior. And this principle of him knowing and so judging is given to us in an illustration in verse 11. Like the partridge, some of your texts will say grouse, that gathers a brood that she did not hatch. Here's the mother who's keeping an egg warm that's not her own. So is he who gets riches, but not by justice. It's ill-gotten gains, here's the illustration. In the midst of his days, they will leave him. And at the end, he will be a fool. Investing all in this, he, he turns out in the end to be a fool because he's trusting in man and, and not trusting in the Lord. Hmm. The Lord is our only hope, verse 12. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. The Lord is our only hope. We deserve judgment. God who sees us and God who knows us and he knows who you are so much better than you could ever know yourself because you and I deceive ourselves. And we always come out looking better than we are. Or we have a distorted self-love that can be perverse and so we beat up on ourselves even. We can't properly assess ourselves. But he knows us. And he's our only hope. We deserve judgment. And we are fools if we don't turn to him, repent of our sins, and put our faith 
in the Savior Jesus. He says in verse 14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. This is how we turn, you see, from being the cursed one to being the blessed one by relying on God to save us, not ourselves. He heals, he saves through his son, Jesus the Christ, the one he sent to take our judgment upon himself and to face the judgment of God for our sins. He didn't commit our sins, but he bore our sins on the cross And everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, in God's provision, God's Messiah, the Savior of the world, everyone who trusts in him moves from being cursed to being blessed, trusting in God. The cursed one trusts in man. They forsake the Lord. They're put to shame. The blessed one trusts in God and they turn to the Lord for salvation. Verse 13, I love verse 13. It's a very curious text. It tells us those who forsake him shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. They've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Now we know Jesus claimed to be the fountain of living water. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he is the source of of life. He's the source of resurrection life. He's, He's our only hope. And it was a old Bible teacher who showed me this. Turn to John 8. John chapter 8. I love this. and That Bible teacher knew his Bible in and out and up and down. And Jesus has just claimed to be the source of living water at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, the, 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 where the living waters poured out before the altar. And he says, I am that water. So he's claiming to be Messiah. It was very public. It was a very, very public proclamation of who he was, the Savior. And it tells us the next day here in chapter 8, uh, verse 3, early in the morning... He came again to the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? It says they said this to test him. They spent all night strategizing to trapped Jesus looking for a woman. They found this poor woman and are using her now because what they want is Jesus to disagree with Moses. And then they would be able to tell everybody 
Jesus doesn't agree with Moses, and Moses was held in such high esteem that that might damage the reputation of Jesus. That's sort of what they're doing. They're counting on Jesus letting her go. They're, They're counting on his compassion. And then verse seven, and as they continued to ask him, well, verse six, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, that he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. (laughs) The end result is they all leave and he tells the woman, go and sin no more. In the context of the ceremony of living water which just occurred and Jeremiah 17 speaking of the living water, what chapter 17 says, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord. These scribes and Pharisees have forsaken the Lord. They have refused to acknowledge who Jesus is. They are cursed ones. And Jesus, bending down, wrote wrote their names, most likely, in the earth. And as they saw him write their names in the dust of the ground, their minds immediately went back to Jeremiah 17. They would have known this text in the context of living water. And they are convicted. Jesus concludes in verse 14 of chapter 17. He says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved. You are the one I praise, he says. So so we can return as we close here now to the question, which one are you? Are you the cursed one, or are you the blessed one? Are you trusting in man, or are you trusting in God for your salvation, for your future, for the forgiveness of your sins? Don't trust in man. Don't trust in yourself. Your heart is deceitful. It will try and present itself as better than you are. And we are all sinners who need a savior. You know, in our country, we we live amongst the people who have been trained since birth to think that they are good. Trained since birth to think that they are worthy of heaven. Trained since birth to assume God must accept them All of us thought this at one point. But that is the cursed way taken by the cursed ones, trusting in man. You know, every spring, there is a bird who comes to the back door here. And he spends hours every day tapping at the glass. Tap, tap, tap. He's looking at his own reflection. He wants to mate with his 
own reflection there. It looks appealing to him. I guess he, he likes the beak. He thinks that's a fine-looking bird. What amazing feathers. And so he wastes his day, days and years, tapping, tap, tap. And he's not able to understand that what he sees isn't real. And so it is with people around us, gazing upon themselves They think they are rather something to behold and delighted in their own reflection. They deceive themselves, not understanding that it's not real. Are you a cursed one this morning? You don't have to be. You can trust the Savior, Jesus. You can trust God who sent his son to die for your sins. Admit your sins. Repent of your sins. Agree with God that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And he offers you salvation. He offers you forgiveness for your sins. To be washed clean of them. And he will move you from being a cursed one to being a blessed one. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He'll move you from the wide road that leads to destruction to the narrow road that leads to life. There's opportunity for you to be a blessed one. To trust in the Lord. Would you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, some here this morning, here perhaps visiting even, spoken to their life condition, the deceitfulness of our heart, the heart that trusts in man, in our own works, in our own goodness, will lead us astray and in the end make us look like fools. But there is salvation, there is forgiveness, there is hope. You would, through your son Jesus, wash away our sins. If you're a cursed one this morning, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that your heart has deceived you. And Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. He'll help you to do that. He'll teach you how to do that and to follow Jesus. As people have been following him for thousands of years. He's the only help for mankind. He's the only savior given amongst men by which we must be healed. Must be saved. Put your faith in Jesus who took your sins and died with them on the cross, who was buried and rose again that you too might rise after death, beyond death, and have life eternal. Become a blessed one. Trust in God. 
Your trust must be in him. And so as we sing this closing hymn, Father, draw from us that which would please you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, uh, tell someone beside you in the, in the pew if, if you have moved from being a cursed one to a blessed one. Come and speak with me or one of the elders. I'd love to have a, a conversation with you and pray with you. And that we can say together that it is well with our soul. So let's sing together. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and sing with us?